everybody, welcome back to this episode. And today we got a special treat. I'm interviewing an old friend, Ruben Greth. Ruben is a real estate investor, a syndicator, a podcast host with the most capital raisers <laughs> show. Love it. Great show. Make sure you check that out. And today we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. And that is, have you ever heard of raising capital for other people and their deals? And there's a lot of misconceptions about this out there. There's a lot of people doing it out there and they're doing it wrong. They're doing yep. it legally. And Ruben's going to walk us through this, how he and his partners are able to properly raise capital for other multifamily sponsors. So Ruben, good to see you, my friend. How are you doing today? Yeah, buddy, dude. Stoked to be back, man. <laughs> it's always fun. It's always, it's never a dull moment with you, my friend. I try to keep the energy levels up, man. You, you know do, how it but is. I think podcast hosts, you gotta go crazy and you know bring the WWD energy and all that fun stuff. So. That's right. So I'm having some tea. You're having a rock star. We're gonna rock it out here. Mm -hmm. Nice. All right. So Ruin, this is the second time I've had the pleasure of having you on the podcast. So why don't we just kind of jump right in? Let's when do it. does it make sense? When do you guys decide that you would rather? raise money for other people's deals versus your own. So where does that come in? Yeah, Matt, right, let me kind of walk you back. So last time I hung out with you, I believe I was still with my previous company. You were, yeah. And I have this show about raising money and I've been in interviewing all these sponsors and interviewing all these capital raisers all across the country. And I'm thinking to myself and I have this light bulb moment and I'm just like, geez, I wonder if I can put these sponsors and these capital raisers together and make money doing it. How do I do this? And I was asking attorneys and fund architecture consultants, like, what do I need to do? Like, how do I get paid for this and how do I do it legally? And the overwhelming response from everybody was, dude, you got to start your own fund. So okay. I left this company to go launch my own fund so I could have access to these other sponsors and deals outside of Arizona. Because my previous company only did stuff pretty pretty close to home. And right when I went into this process of launching my own fund, which was scary as hell, by the way, I mean, because like you got to start your own website, your own brand, you got to find a syndication attorney, you got to find sponsors, and then you got to go and talk to limited partners and explain to them why it makes sense for them to invest into your deal. And they're going to be asking you, well, how many of these funds have you started? And if the answer is zero, you're kind of like, man, that's an uphill with, with, battle. With this, it'll be my first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up finding a friend that I had interviewed on the show and he's like, Hey man, dude, instead of starting your own fund, like why don't, I've already done a few funds. Why don't you just come hang out with me? I need the national exposure. I need these tools that you're, aware of, you know, creating automations and marketing and branding. In fact, our website needs to be rebranded. Why don't you just come hang out with us and then we can go, you know, create generational wealth for people and right off into the sunset. And I'm like, sweet, sign me up for that. Yeah. So your question was, when does it make sense to raise capital for other people? And there's a couple answers to that. One my friend told me that there's this business called built to rent syndications, which we're going to talk about somewhere down the road here in the show, I think. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I can never sell that. Like all the people in my audience, they understand multifamily value add, like buying large scale multifamilies and, you know, forcing appreciation through changing the net operating income and changing, you know, the uh, property management and hopefully you're trying to find some kind of play where you can increase the income and lower the expenses in order to right. increase the value of these properties, right? So 
that's kind of what I wanted to do. And he's like, okay, that's cool, man. But you know, like we're going to be doing some built to rent stuff. And so I was looking at this built to rent model and I'm like, hold on a second. Wait, you're telling us that we can make this much money and the capital raisers are going to make this much money. And then the limited partners are going to double their money in 30 months instead of five years, like in these 506 deal, 506 C deals that we do. I'm like, dang, like, let me learn a little bit more about this. And, you know, the more that I've kind of spent time looking and analyzing this built to rent model, which has a little bit of a different risk profile than a multifamily syndication. Yeah. The more that it's making a lot more sense to let's go full board on the, the built to rent, man, because everybody's making a ton more money. Right. But we do these 506C. And so the, define, o- define what a 506C yeah. is. For All right. So, so here's the funny thing. And, and you mentioned that people do things incorrectly when it comes to raising capital. Yeah. When you raise money from people that are completely passive, that have no active ongoing duty in your business, then that technically becomes a security. And what we want to do as money raisers and real estate investors is create a security legally. And we have to make it so that we can raise money without being regulated the same way Coca-Cola or Apple is regulated. So we file for this thing called an exemption. Right. And regulation D 506 B or C are the exemptions that we typically apply for and get, you know, through a syndication attorney. And there's also some other ones, regulation A or, you know, regulation crowdfunding, regulation CF as it's also known. And the difference between 506 B and 506 C is your ability to advertise. Right with the 506C, we can advertise, we can go on podcasts and talk about our deals, we can do whatever we want for the most part, as long as we're not going too crazy and, and as long as we're being legally compliant and not doing anything that's you know kind of fishy, we can talk about this stuff all over the place. Right. But, and, but you can only raise but money from the a credit. Trade-off is that you can only raise from people that have a specific net worth that have right. accreditation status. So the other exemption that you can apply for is a 506B as in boy, which allows you to raise money, but you can only do it from friends and family, from sophisticated investors, but they don't necessarily have to be accredited. You can take accredited investors, but they don't have to be in order to be compliant. But the trade-off is you can't advertise. You Mm -hmm. can't go and talk to people that you don't know. You can't talk about real estate. I got these guys that come on the show and they're trying to talk about their deals and their 506B deals. I have to erase and cut out the parts where they're talking about their deals because they're not allowed, even if they're not talking about returns, they're not allowed to discuss. Even if they, they just have it under contract, they, they're doing this thing that's called conditioning the market. Mm. And that's illegal. Wow. Now, prob- probably you're, if you get busted or if a regulator comes knocking on your door, they're probably not going to take you to jail for these kind of you know, mishaps where you're talking about your deal in front of people. And in fact, if you're making them money, your limited partners are probably not going to file a complaint. Right. But they can typically, what they end up doing is remove your capacity to raise capital legally. They could say, Ruben, you got to be on the sidelines for the next five years. You're no longer allowed to raise capital because you violated this security regulation. You're just like, damn, well, better be doing things correctly. So we typically go for 506Cs on our built to rent syndications, which I'm sure we'll discuss. 
But when does it make sense to raise capital for other people? Well, as I mentioned, we make a lot more money in our own deals, mm -hmm. but all of our deals are for accredited investors only. So we come across some specific sponsors from time to time that run these 506Bs. And we have a 506B list in our database. And then, you know, typically we'll, we'll hang out with the sponsor and then raise for them as a co-sponsor or essentially a partner of them on the general partnership team and okay. have to be, we have to have an ongoing duty, whether that's marketing, that's going to be some kind of asset management play. It's going to be board of advisory play. It's going to be something where we are ongoing and consistently having some kind of a duty for the duration of the entire project in order to stay legally compliant. And in those cases, you know, like we want to do our 506C deals, but, you know, how many of these are we going to do? Right. right. So it might be like two or three a year, possibly, maybe even less than that. And in the meantime, our investor database is like, hey, you know, like what you got, you know, yeah. what do you got for going me? on? So. So then we typically partner with other multifamily sponsors across the country. Not a lot. So don't be like, come and knock on my door. Like, hey, come raise capital for me. It's very selective process. But occasionally, some of our friends that we like that we have been vetting for years will present an opportunity for us. And then we'll partner with them as a co-GP structure and raise capital for them. To so when, you, when you're doing the co-GP, typically, what role do you guys take on in that? scenario so it's typically some kind of a asset management play right mm -hmm. so like what is the you know how are we going to improve the operations where mm -hmm. are we going to select a different better property manager how are we going to help you guys select the remodel process let us kind of participate with you in the decision of how we're going to refurbish these units ongoing right and you, you know like if you're doing an older multifamily property it may have like 1970s shag carpet mm -hmm. and then you get to come in and say hey you know like let's help with the decision of what kind of flooring we're going to put in what kind of appliances we're going so to but put the, in. The, the practicality of this is your partner is bringing the deal to the table mm -hmm. chances are they have a ton of experience already doing these mm -hmm. kind of deals are i mean they probably want to take the lead they will the, take the yeah, lead yeah yes. so you're just you're just kind of advising at that point, right? So you're, you're, they make the final decision, but you're, you're actively. And the, in the co-GP structure, you have to have some kind of activity going on, right? which we mentioned before the show, we were talking about raising capital for others. The other option besides co-GP structures mm -hmm. is to start a fund. That's a fascinating idea. Hold that thought for a second. Hi there, this is Dave DeBow, and real estate investors hire me to raise capital the right way. Why? Because most of them are stuck with too small of a portfolio, and they don't know how to attract investors and raise money for their deals. So I help them to connect, capture, and close their ideal money partners. Bottom line, when you've got a deal, you're going to have the capital to do it. So go ahead and book a no-cost capital clarity session with me at bookachatwithdave.com. Again, that's book at chatwithdave.com. Right. So we were talking about- Now, now know, that like, sounds horrendously expensive, scary, and all that stuff. It's not that crazy. About. It's not that crazy. It's essentially, okay. you, you got to find, it can be, you got to find an attorney that's reasonably priced, right? Because if you're going to spend $25,000 to create a security, you're probably going to have to raise at least four or $5 million 
before logistically it makes sense financially for your company. So if you can find somebody that creates a really simple document, you know, like probably about in the $7,000 range, which is not common, but if you've done it once, you know, you can kind of repeat the content of the we call it boilerplate. Boilerplate. Yeah. 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 You, you pay a lot the first time. And then the second time it's already kind of written. You just need to change the numbers and change the, the actual property details and stuff like that. But the first time is expensive. The second time, not so much, but you know, there's these other things called series LLCs. Some people refer to them as deal by deal segregated funds, but essentially what you're doing in these kinds of scenarios is you're starting one main company and then that company launches a fund every quarter or every year or however often it's, you know, now we're starting to kind of dive into the rabbit hole of, you know, like what kind of a structure do you want to have? And you can either well, do a we won't, we won't, we won't go down that a specific because... purpose vehicle. I, mean, I just yeah. want to mention them real quick. You know, so, so what are the different fund types specific purpose vehicle with, which typically only invests in the one deal you got a blind pool fund, which essentially you're putting a business model to the fund and then expecting people to come into your deal. And regardless of what you do, their money is in there. This is the hardest type of capital raise I believe there is. And then there's this kind of hybrid, you know, this is like what we call a deal by deal segregated fund or a series LLC, where you allow people to look at the PPM, the private placement memorandum on each deal, and they get to choose whether or not they want to be in any specific deal in your fund, which mm. is a very, very cool structure. So I yeah. geek out, like I've been told you are a fund nerd, you know, like I love funds, but, man. But I, they, they so say exciting. that in an affectionate way, Ruben. That's, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, that's, that's great. So talk to us a little bit about this whole build to rent syndication thing that you were mm-hmm. that you were skeptical about but now it sounds like you're a big fan yeah man all right so one thing to think about here is if you're going to be building subdivisions of houses where across the united states would it make the most sense to do so in a city like phoenix dallas atlanta you're probably dealing with the city at a very high level there's lots of red tape so institutions like to build here because they can kind of invest and hang tight, you know, and, you know, wait five years for this thing to be developed. But as a smaller syndicator, our main objective is to get the returns for the limited partners as fast as possible. So what we typically do is we find a piece of land in Louisiana or Alabama or some kind of flat area in a secondary market that is in kind of growth mode that will help you get across the finish line with your entitlements and your engineering very relatively quickly. So we find a piece of land, we put it under contract with an option to buy. We start doing the city engineering and architectural plans. And then once those are completed, then we'll actually execute the option to purchase the land. And then we'll do phase two, which is the infrastructure. You're building out the roads, the streets, the sewer, the water, the electrical, you're putting all of that stuff in place, which is a specific kind of play that some people just focus on that. Let's go take a piece of land. Let's go entitle it or put in infrastructure and then we'll just sell it to a developer and we're done. But we continue on with the process. We sell that completed infrastructure project to ourselves. And at that point, we start what is known as the syndication where we partner with limited partners. They bring the capital, and then we build the 
property vertically. And then we, as we are building 10 at a time, we are renting them. Like let's build 10 and then let's start another 10. But these other 10, they don't just sit there. We start to fill them with vac with, you know, with occupants and residents and whatnot. What are you, what are you building? Are they like so detached we're, we're, single we're family building, homes or yeah, townhouses? What are they? They're definitely detached for the most part. We're talking about like 1200 unit cottages that are not luxury, but they're really nice. Some of them have technology in place. 1200 square have, feet. Yeah. Mm. But they have backyards. They have doggy doors. They have driveways. They're mm -hmm. not, you know, like some people talk about, well, how many doors do you got? Oh, I got 10,000 doors. How about you? Well, I got 1000 doors. But what is the quality of your door? Mm -hmm. Does it have a backyard? Do you are you able to drive up to it? Does it have video cameras on the outside? Is it separate and detached from the neighboring property? Does it have a backyard? Does it have, you know, a community center or walking trails? Or is it just a building that's stacked on top of another building, a stacked up another building with no backyard on a terrace? That, you know, that's how you have to barbecue. So the quality of the door is very different, but essentially we run these things exactly like multifamilies where you have an entire subdivision, mm -hmm. they're all rented and it's all managed property managed by one single guy that can potentially be on site or live somewhere close, but they don't have to like drive around the entire city to try and property manage. They're all in one place, right? So how many, how many houses would be in a typical project like this, give or take? Yeah, we're we're scaling. Our first one that we're in progress right now is 98 townhomes, or I should say cottages. They're not connected. Townhomes are typically connected. Yeah. Right now, we just put a piece of we just completed the contract on a piece of land that has been approved by the city for 154 houses. Although there's going to be a couple, I believe, I think four or five three-unit townhome structures within this community. But for the most part, they're going to be two-bedroom and three-bedroom and four-bedroom houses. Um, and, cool. and then we have another one that's a 28-acre project in Broussard, Louisiana, that we're going to build 220 homes on. And that one is just barely right now going through. Well, let's, the, let's talk about the one that you got up and going. It's in progress. How many units did you say? 98? It's 98. The first yeah. eight of them have been built. And then right. the infrastructure for the rest of them is being put in. And what, what, are you, what are you renting these out for typically? So we underwrote the deal for our investors declaring that we we're going to rent them for $1,450. But right now we're seeing rents like $1,650, $1,700. Oh, very nice. Yeah. So. so Ruben, you know what this kind of seems like to me? It almost seems like, don't take this the wrong way but it's almost like you're building your own mobile home park without mobile home with regular houses on, like you're creating your own communities like that, which I think is huge because there's such, well, these aren't really affordable, super affordable properties. I, I don't know what they're not luxury they're homes, but they're not like, you know, swaggy kind of like C class. Yeah. Either. They're middle of the road. Yeah, they're like if they're like B class, maybe a little bit higher than. And who's that. your typical tenant profile for these kind of properties? Uh, you'd have to ask the people that live there. So, yeah. um, but, but is it like our property baby manager, boomers downsizing? They're like no, they're like I think they're scaling families. You know, they're usually like thirty-year-old people that are starting their family that would prefer to live in their own home rather yeah. than rent a apartment unit. Yeah, and there's certainly a lack of 
housing supply across the entire nation. So yeah. no, um, I think if, I, if your choice is let me pay $1,400 for an apartment or let me pay $1,650 for a smaller house, you know, it's not a giant house, but it's a 1,200 unit house with a yard, that's got a, with, with a yard, you know, and everything, then yeah, I think I'd rather live in the house. for. What's now. the cash flow look like on these kind of, these kind of properties? What's, what are you anticipating once it's all built out? What do you think you'll be netting per unit in this 98 unit project? This particular one is not so much of a cash flow play, although I think it's going to cash flow nicely, but it's going to cost us about $16 million to build this entire thing. And then we're probably going to be able to sell it for like around 28 or 29. Million. Is that the goal then? You're kind of flip, get it all for, stabilized and then flip for it For this particular one that's underway, I believe that the idea is to build it, rent it, and sell the entire subdivision as one community nice. to a single institutional buyer. Smart. And this next one that's going to be in Foley, Alabama, that's also a 506C, we're thinking about keeping it forever because it's in an opportunity zone. So if we can hold it for at least 10 years, your taxes on the entire thing are eliminated completely, not deferred. They're eliminated completely, but we have to hold it for at least 10 years in order to accomplish that. Well, that might make sense too. Ruben, time flies when we're having fun. If people want to find out more about you, (laughs) check out the Capital Raisers show, et cetera. What should they do? Yeah, uh, capitalraisershow.com, where we're starting a new brand with Richard C. Wilson under the name capitalraiser.com. And let's see, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and my handle on Instagram is at capitalraiser. But my preferred method of contact is LinkedIn. Beautiful. Ruben, thank you so much. It's You're always up to fun and exciting stuff. Yeah, brother, man. This is great. Thank you. All right, everybody. Take care. See you on the next episode. Well, hey there, thanks for tuning into the Property Profits Podcast. If you like this episode, that's great. Please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a good review. That'd be awesome. I appreciate that. And if you're looking to attract investors and raise capital for your deals, then I'm going to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my newest book right back there. There it is. The Money Partner Formula. You can get a PDF version at InvestorAttractionBook.com. Again, investor attractionbook.com. Take care.